Good morning, and welcome to Mayflower on this, the last Sunday of 2020. Here at Mayflower, we believe that faith is a journey, God is love, Jesus saves, and the Spirit leads us toward faith, hope, and love as we honor the dignity of all God's children. So we invite you to continue your journey of faith with us through this live stream service. I am Rev. Ruth Bell Olson, and along with Rev. Dr. Jonathan White, we are your interim pastoral team. This morning, we are joined by Dr. Julia Brown, our Director of Music, and our cantors this morning are newlyweds, Mary Took and Patrick Kiras. We're so happy that they're here with us. We also want to recognize Pat McGuire, who is our live stream specialist, who makes all of this possible. We hope you had a wonderful Christmas celebrating our Savior's birth. We had our first ever outdoor live nativity on Christmas Eve. And wow, that was something. We had over 400 people come to our front lawn of our church to see our holy family, pet the animals, hear carolers singing, and to simply be together. It was truly a special Christmas Eve. We are still in afterglow mode from all the wonderful services and experiences we had here sharing this Christmas season, even in a pandemic. Please note, if you still want to see a mall and the night visitors, the link will be available on our website until December 31st. As we reflect on 2020, we acknowledge the losses and pain of this year, but we also want to express our deep gratitude. Gratitude for God's faithfulness and provision, and gratitude to all of you who rallied around this community and our church family in ways that we just, uh, we've been blessed enormously. So we have cause, great cause, for rejoicing. opened heaven's door, and we are blessed forevermore. As a call to worship this morning, let us reflect on the birth of Christ, the emergence of the baby Messiah into a broken world. May this same Messiah continue to be alive in us as we seek to transform and bless our broken world. In the words of poet Malcolm Geit, we think of him as safe beneath the steeple, or cozy in a crib beside the font. But he is with a million displaced people on the long road of weariness and want. 
For even as we sing our final carol, his family is up and on the road, feeling the wrath of someone else's quarrel, glancing behind and shouldering their load. Whilst Herod rages still from his dark tower, Christ clings to Mary, fingers tightly curled. The lambs are slaughtered by the men of power, and death squads spread their curse across the world. But every Herod dies and comes alone to stand before the Lamb upon the throne. So come, let us worship the Lamb upon the throne.
Let us pray. Holy One, you have come. You put skin on and joined us in our humanity. How can we begin to fathom this? How can we begin to thank you? Well, today we try. We gather in worship and we bring our hearts. Transform us into your image, we pray. Amen. Our first scripture readings this morning are from Isaiah and Galatians. Isaiah 61, verses 10 through 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland... And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Galatians 4, 4-7 But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a child, and if a child, then also an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh. 
Now a reading from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, Mary. It is so good to see you in the sanctuary. That was beautiful. Patrick and Mary, congratulations and welcome this morning. Will you pray with me? Holy One, open our minds and open our ears. Silence our tongues when we speak division. Let our tongues sing with joy when we talk about togetherness. This we ask in the name of the Christ. Amen. I was new to Michigan. In fact, I was new to Detroit. Uh, It was 1968 in the late fall. I was starting my second year as a Detroiter, um, and Detroit was quite a bit different than Tyler Mountain, West Virginia. There were more people, for example. It was a great time. Because Mickey Lolich had just won three games in the World Series, and the Detroit Tigers were the champions. I went over to see my buddies. My buddies and I walked down from uh, Outer Drive, and people were everywhere. We walked all the way down to Seven Mile, and people just flooded the streets. Everybody was happy in a city that had had riots Only a year before, black and white people were celebrating together. We were one. We were Detroit. And it was time to be happy and together. Now, many scholars believe that there are three Isaiahs that's based on the history Uh, and the events covered in the single book of Isaiah. What we heard today was from the third Isaiah. The third Isaiah is important because it comes after the exile. The elite of Jerusalem were exiled uh, in 581 when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem. But when the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, the Persian emperor Cyrus sent uh, the elite Jews back to Jerusalem. And with those people coming back to Jerusalem, there was a celebration in 538. They were happy. They were back. The Psalms that they write at this point, the third Isaiah is a celebration of returning. They were together. They were one. They were the nation of Judea again. Paul in Galatians writes about adoption and being the heir to Christ. What more can be what can be happier? What more can we ask? We are Christians. Jesus has come. Jesus has saved us. We're together. We're one. It's time to celebrate. And then Luke, there's so many, there's so much richness in this passage. So many wonderful things. 
But I want to look at two things. Luke is very subtle in including everybody. There is a line that Jesus will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Everybody's included. And not only that, in a patriarchal culture, Anna is elevated to the level of Simeon. She is a prophet and speaks with the authority of God. Women were equal. We were together. Christians. Christ is the light of the Gentile. We're all one. Well, after the initial celebration in Jerusalem in 538, the elites who had been exiled started looking around at the working class folks who hadn't been taken to Babylon. And they saw, you didn't suffer like we did. And you're not obeying the law. The law held us together in Babylon. And lo and behold, they discovered two texts within the walls of Jerusalem. And those texts, Ezra and Nehemiah, were exclusive. They told the people who stayed behind, these are your laws. If you don't follow them, you don't belong to us. There was an in-group and an out-group. Families were broken because some Jews had dared marry outsiders. Children left their parents. There was an in-group and an out-group. When we look at Detroit, we were all together that night, but racial tension still dominates Detroit. There's an in-group and an out-group. And look at us Christians. While Paul and Luke tell us to celebrate and join together, Ours is a history of division. It's a history of oppression, of colonialism, of denominational war. We Christians place ourselves in little in-groups and put other Christians and everybody else in the out-group. Why do we do that? Well, it's because we're human. It's the way the brain works. Our brain has us programmed to think of an in-group and an out-group. The group that we're part of and everybody else. That's just plain psychology. Christianity should put that upside down. We don't often. Jesus did. And we're a divided land today. We've just come through four divisive years. 
But the division began long before that. With small groups in the 1980s and 1990s. And after 9-11, the Department of Justice brought focus groups together. The terrorism experts from all over the country. They sat in a focus group and showed each other what they had been finding with the research. And the research was a resurgence of terrorism. But the terrorism wasn't coming from overseas. It was coming internally. Extremist violent groups were the main problem. And we see that that has continued. Some even say we're heading for a civil war because the breach is so great. Well, if they're right, and I pray that they're not, but if they're right, it's not going to be a civil war where blue uniformed people line up against gray and butternut brown people. It is going to be a savage war that would last a long time and involve death squads, murders, and repression. All we need to do is to look at the ideological division, which is not geographical, and then look at El Salvador in the last century, or look at Colombia and its 50-year civil war. Is that what we want to be as Americans? And then look at our church. Our church has divided along those political lines too. And not only that, we're divided on other things. We're angry at one another. And we exclude certain people. And we say, you don't belong here or you can't think that if you want to come here. Is that the way we want to act as Christians? Let's go back to that Galatians reading. Paul talks about adoption. Now, in Roman culture, and Paul was familiar with that. Remember, he was a Roman citizen. In Roman culture, adoption was very common. And when you were adopted, you were absorbed into the family, that family's prestige, and your career, if you were with a prestigious family, was ensured. I think of one of my favorite philosophers, Boethius, who in the 6th century was adopted into a very prestigious Roman family. His future was secure. He became the master of offices, which was essentially the prime minister. His two sons followed him. They were all senators, and although his life ended tragically through betrayal, Boethius had that path. Why? Because he was adopted. If you were adopted, you belonged. And look closely at what Paul's saying. We're no longer slaves. But we're adopted. We are children. God has seen the Christ in us. And we are elevated. We can be what 
God wants us to be. We can start that journey. And because we're adopted, we're heirs to everything that God has promised. Being Christian is less about reciting the proper creeds and more about how we treat the outgroup. In the December 20th issue of The Atlantic, Peter Wagner writes about our division. And then he says, We have to remind ourselves that we are not powerless to shape the future, that much of what has been broken can be repaired, that though we are many, we can be one, and that fatalism and cynicism are unwarranted and corrosive. There's a lovely line in William Wadsworth's poem, The Prelude, What we have loved, others will love, and we will teach them how. There are still things worthy of our love, honor, decency, courage, beauty, and truth, tenderness, human empathy, a sense of duty, a good society, and commitment to human dignity. We need to teach others where do we do that? We're in our rights in our individual relationships, in our classrooms, in our communities, in our book clubs, in our Bible studies, and other settings. Where do we teach others? We teach them uh, to have, I lost my place here, excuse me. We teach them why these things are worthy of their attention and their loyalty, their love. One person doing it won't make much of a difference. A lot of people doing it create a culture. Christians, what kind of culture do we want to create? I have to ask myself, because I have outgroups, Can I do that? You have to ask yourself, what are you going to do? Well, let me end by quoting first Isaiah. This is before the Babylonian conquest. This is when the original Isaiah was writing. Isaiah is in the Holy of Holies. Kadosh, Kadosh in Hebrew. The inner sanctum where only the high priest can enter. It's smoky because he's spreading incense. And he has a vision of the Lord. The Lord needs to send a prophet out. And the Lord says, Isaiah writes, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And I answered, 
here am I, Lord. Send me. What kind of church do we want to be? What kind of country do we want to be? Working together, we create a culture. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As you all are aware, this is the last Sunday of 2020. Many of you are making decisions about year-end giving, and we hope that Mayflower is at the top of your list. Your gifts, ties, and offerings ensure that Mayflower can continue its ministry and look forward to a bright future of blessing. Thank you for your generosity.
Let us pray. Lord, you know what we need. We trust in your provision. May you use us in all that we have to serve you and to bless others. Amen. Let us now join our hearts together for our congregational prayer. Most good and gracious God, Advent signals your coming. We anticipated the arrival of the Christ child for many weeks. We lit candles, we sang, we read devotionals, and we waited. We longed for you to show up in the midst of these strange days of pandemic and struggle. And you came. We celebrated your arrival. The world has never been the same. Advent is also a marking of the coming of Christ into each of our hearts. You came as a tiny baby, and now you come into our lives. You break through our selfishness and our distraction, and you dwell in our flesh. This is a holy mystery. May we wake up and be fully present to this embodied mystery. Embodied mystery. Help us not to miss it. Help us to be the kind of hosts of your spirit that glow with the light of Christ. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be continually born in us today and every day. We welcome you.
And now, as brothers and sisters in the family of God, we pray the family prayer that Christ taught us. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Children of God, adopted, heirs, as we go into the new year, as we celebrate Christmas, let us remember who we are and what we stand for. Merry Christmas, and in the words of Tiny Tim, God bless us all. Everyone, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Merry Christmas and Amen.